Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. It's Thursday, June 2nd, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, it turns out your liver is quite a bit younger than expected. Plus, people with food allergies may be at a lower risk of catching COVID-19. Iceland's new campaign to help you rein in your work-life balance while on vacation. And in very serious news, we seem to be running out of googly eyes and Taco Bell's Mexican pizza. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. No matter how old you get, your liver, it turns out, is never more than about three years old. That's right, your liver never graduates pre-K. And we've already known that the liver is a fast-healing organ that can even naturally regenerate itself, so to speak, after losing tissue. It's thought that even the ancient Greeks were aware of this little anatomical miracle due to the myth of Prometheus, who was punished for giving humans the gift of fire by having his liver eaten by an eagle every single day and regrowing it overnight. But the extent of this healing capacity and whether the ability to do so declines as we age has been less known. So a team of international scientists led by Dr. Olaf Bergman at the Center for Regenerative Therapies Dresden set out to determine the age of the human liver and prod at some of those questions. To do so, they looked at liver cells previously collected from a sample of more than 50 people between the ages of 20 and 84 who had died of various causes. And to estimate the longevity of those liver cells, the team used a technique called retrospective radiocarbon birth dating. Gizmodo explains, quote, Levels of radiocarbon activity in the environment have increased and decreased over recent decades, thanks to the start and end of above-ground nuclear weapons testing. And because trace amounts of radiocarbon in the environment can end up in the DNA of plant and animal cells, scientists have been able to use this environmental radiocarbon as a sort of measuring stick for a cell's age. The older a cell is, the more radiocarbon likely to be in its DNA. And when the team dated the liver cells from their sample group, they found a consistent pattern no matter the age of the person. Most cells were young and around the same age. They further estimated that most liver cells replace themselves about once a year, and on average, our liver stays under the age of three. End quote. And from Science Alert, quote, As our bodies get older, they're less able to renew cells and carry out repairs. What this new study shows is that this doesn't apply to the hepatocytes, the cells in the liver. Whereas earlier animal studies had given conflicting results, there's now much more clarity. However, not all liver cells are the same in terms of how quickly they renew. A small fraction can live to be up to 10 years old, the researchers found. This seems to be related to how many sets of chromosomes they're carrying. Most cells in our body, aside from our sex cells, carry two copies of our entire genome. Liver cells are an odd exception, with a proportion of cells generating even more copies of our whole DNA library on top. End quote. And Dr. Bergman added, quote, When we compared typical liver cells with the cells richer in DNA, we found fundamental differences in their renewal. 
typical cells renew approximately once a year, while the cells richer in DNA can reside in the liver for up to a decade. And this fraction gradually increases with age. This could be a protective mechanism that safeguards us from accumulating harmful mutations. We need to find out if there are similar mechanisms in chronic liver disease, which in some cases can turn into cancer. End quote. Now, in addition to further insights to help understand and treat liver-related diseases, this study builds on the body of work being done by this team with the use of retrospective radiocarbon birth dating. They're currently also studying cell renewal in the heart, and earlier this year published findings on certain brain cells renewing even as we age. It's really interesting how they've been able to identify and take advantage of the period of above-ground nuclear testing in the 50s to basically develop an entire research technique that helps inform a totally different set of studies with its own fascinating and significant takeaways. As Bergman described it, the study of cell renewal directly in humans can provide, quote, unparalleled insights into the underlying cellular and molecular mechanisms of human organ regeneration, end quote. Especially as we get this far into the pandemic with so many variants and so many people who have caught COVID-19 multiple times, a big question remains. What about the people who have never gotten it? Did they have an asymptomatic case and not know? What about people who receive regular testing or live with someone who had it and never once tested positive themselves? Is there something in these people's biology that's making them immune to COVID-19? There are a number of ongoing studies investigating just that, none with published results that I've seen thus far. But relatedly, even more studies since the very start of the pandemic have been investigating what factors could lead someone to be more or less susceptible to catching COVID. The latest such study comes from the National Institutes of Health, which found that people with food allergies seem to be at lower risk of infection. The study, dubbed the Human Epidemiology and Response to SARS-CoV-2, or HEROES, was published yesterday in the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology and monitored infection in over 4,000 people, including people of all ages with self-reported food allergies, asthma, eczema, or allergic rhinitis. It monitored the participants from May 2020 to February 2021, so before widespread rollout of vaccines in the U.S. The HEROES study confirmed a few points that have been identified by previous studies, such as obesity and a high BMI being associated with increased risk, and children under the age of 12 being just as likely to become infected as adults, but with three-quarters of their infections being asymptomatic. Although, again, the participants were studied in pre-Delta and pre-Omicron days, so That may have changed a bit. But one interesting takeaway was that asthma, at least according to this study, does not increase the risk of infection. Although, you know, I'm sure it makes some of the symptoms worse if you do actually get COVID-19. Now, previous studies have shown how having asthma might actually protect you from becoming infected with SARS-CoV-2. Researchers at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill found in April that a protein called IL-13 that's more prevalent in asthmatic people and causes a ramping up of mucus can make it tough for the coronavirus to invade cells. But the food allergy thing was one that I hadn't heard before. Quoting the National Institutes of Health, 
The hero's investigators found that having self-reported, physician-diagnosed food allergy cut the risk of infection in half, but asthma and the other allergic conditions monitored, eczema and allergic rhinitis, were not associated with reduced infection risk. However, the participants who reported having food allergy were allergic to three times as many allergens as the participants who did not report having food allergy, end quote. And NIH notes that since conditions were self-reported, the researchers analyzed blood samples from a subset of participants to measure food allergens and therefore support the accuracy of self-reporting. Quoting further, Dr. Tina Hartert and colleagues speculate that type 2 inflammation, a characteristic of allergic conditions, may reduce levels of a protein called the ACE2 receptor on the surface of airway cells. SARS-CoV-2 uses this receptor to enter cells so its scarcity could limit the virus's ability to infect them. End quote. Though, as pediatric hospitalist Dr. Alok Patel pointed out on Twitter, quote, is it because type 2 inflammation leads to a reduction of ACE2 receptors, limiting SARS-CoV-2 cell surface attachment, or because people with food allergies are inherently more careful? End quote. And the researchers considered this as well, surmising that people with food allergies may eat out at restaurants less often, for example. However, biweekly assessments in their study found that households containing at least one member with a food allergy only had slightly lower levels of community exposure compared with other households. As Dr. Anthony Fauci said of the study, the new observed associations merit further investigation. However, speaking for myself here, it's certainly intriguing as another possible ripple in why some people just don't seem to ever caught COVID-19. Visit Iceland is back with another hit. Back in summer of 2020, the National Tourism Board released a supremely funny campaign called Let It Out, which allowed people to go to a website, literally scream out their stress into their computer's microphone, and then the group would project their scream from one of seven speakers installed in the big, vast, untouched countryside of Iceland. It was a way to remind people about how awesome their nation is to visit, even at a time when no one could actually plan a trip there. Now, two years later, as tourists have returned to take in Iceland's otherworldly sites, the country is encouraging you to truly unplug. Recognizing that remote work ushered in even more unhealthy work-life balances with people answering email and messages at all hours even when they are supposed to be offline, Visit Iceland has a new resource for people looking to really set aside their inbox and focus on relaxing. They want you to out-horse your email. It is a real service in which real Icelandic horses write real out-of-office replies for you. In a promotional video, they show a number of different horses in various famous sites around the country tapping away at or trotting across giant oversized keyboards and the nonsensical string of letters and punctuation being created. Now, on the website, you can pick from three different horses. Each one comes with a photo and a brief description. I won't even try to pronounce their names, but one is described as assertive, efficient, shiny hair, while another is friendly trained in corporate buzzwords, and a third horse types fast but might take a nap. Relatable. After you select your horse, you give the website your name, email, and the dates that you will be out of office. And then anyone who tries to email you while you're on vacation will get a polite, professional reply from an Icelandic horse so that you can go about your trip without worrying. And the best part about this whole thing is that it is really real. 
Visit Iceland even made a behind-the-scenes video showing how they created the giant keyboard, connected it to a computer, and enlisted experts from the Horses of Iceland group to help train the horses to walk across it. Now, as opposed to the campaign two years ago, which recognized that people were unable to visit for the time being, this one is squarely aimed at getting visitors back to the country, with an associated section on the site highlighting local activities titled, Things to Do in Iceland While a Horse Answers Your Emails. (laughs) Honestly, Iceland is so cool on its own that I feel like it barely needs this level of weird, clever comedy to get people to visit, but I'm so glad that it does. Just makes me want to go back even more. It's been a while, but it is time yet again for another shortage report. Kind of. This one isn't too serious. But apparently, the U.S. might be low on both googly eyes and ingredients for Taco Bell's just-returned Mexican pizza. First, the googly eyes. According to numerous posts online from customers and employees alike, the arts and craft chain store Michael's has been running out of googly eyes like hotcakes, and some people say the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once is to blame. Now, I still have not seen the movie, despite really wanting to, so I won't spoil why googly eyes are so strongly associated with the film, but I will say that they're associated with the film heavily enough that production company A24 is selling branded packs of googly eyes as merch on their website. And A24's Twitter account has posted some screenshots of people reporting empty googly eye shelves at Michael's, and one post blamed the shortage on that everything movie. Despite numerous reports, however, it doesn't seem like the movie is quite to blame. Heather Schwedell at Slate dug into it, and while she pointed out that it could make sense that an item usually bought by teachers and parents for kids' crafts could have been caught off guard when a whole new demographic flooded stores for an item that would have been ordered many months ago based on sales data from previous years and wouldn't have known to account for in Everything Everywhere All at Once bump. However, when Schwedell reached out to Michael's communication manager, Adam Krell, Krell said that the store had been experiencing shipping delays since January, and looking at their internal sales data, there was no correlation between googly eye supply and the release of Everything Everywhere All at Once in March. Googly eyes are simply always a hot commodity that sell out pretty quickly, Krell said. So in this case, looks like it was more correlation than causation or any kind of major supply chain issue. But meanwhile, Taco Bell's Mexican pizza returned to menus on May 19th after being cut back in November 2020, but the demand has been so high that restaurants are already having trouble keeping up. Taco Bell tweeted earlier this week, quote, Turns out we underestimated how many of you love Mexican pizza. Seven times more than we expected, to be exact. We're working as fast as we can to restock Mexican pizza ingredients. We'll need some time to replenish our supplies, but when it comes back, we promise it's here to stay. End quote. Here to stay was an important thing to add because it seems a lot of people thought that it would be a limited time promotion, especially once they started trying to order it at their local Taco Bell and found it was already gone. I do wonder how much enthusiasm for Mexican pizza will be sustained once Taco Bell is fully able to replenish their supplies. I've seen some posts online and experienced firsthand with my friends that many people built up Mexican pizza in their minds, and actually eating it was nowhere near as good as they remembered. And this has apparently been a common enough phenomenon that Taco Bell had to address rumors on their website that this incarnation of Mexican pizza was made with different ingredients. 
They wrote, The Mexican pizza was returned to our menu in all its previous glory, complete with the same ingredients of seasoned beef and refried beans between two fried flour tortillas topped with pizza sauce, our three cheese blend, and fresh diced tomatoes. When it returns this fall, it'll be with these same ingredients. End quote. Also, in apologizing for the shortage, they acknowledged, quote, If the last two years have taught us anything, it's that literally nothing can emotionally take the place of the Mexican pizza for some of our fans. End quote. I mean, hey, it's not a bad place to be in for a brand. And while they were typing up a whole FAQ, they also readdressed the postponement of Mexican Pizza the Musical on TikTok starring Dolly Parton. They didn't say anything more than they have before, still just saying they hope to reschedule at a later date. And I remain curious if any behind-the-scenes situations affected the postponements, in addition to what most people assumed, which is that the emotional climate of the nation was not right for a goofy taco pizza musical. In any case, again, this isn't really a shortage or supply chain issue, just Taco Bell not expecting the sheer numbers of people who would turn up to eat their Mexican pizza. One more fun fact about Mexican pizza, it was first introduced to Taco Bell menus back in 1985, a glorious year. Immortalized in the Bowling for Soup cover song of the same name, 1985 was the year of New Coke, Super Mario Brothers, and the release of the first Back to the Future film. And if you want to go all the way back to 1985, and you have tens of thousands of dollars lying around, you're in luck. DeLorean Motor Company finally released the first look at its new Alpha 5 EV, a brand new take on the famous gull-winged sports car that Doc Brown turned into a time machine. Quoting TechCrunch, DeLorean said Tuesday that the Alpha 5 sports car will post figures typical for a performance EV, zipping from 0 to 60 miles per hour in just under 3 seconds on its way to a top speed of 155 miles per hour. The company estimates that the car's 100 kilowatt hour battery will be able to travel more than 300 miles on a full charge. The EV was designed by Ital Design, which also helped shape the original DMC-12 four decades ago. Looking at the released images, the Alpha 5 gains a pair of infotainment screens and a frunk, but loses the flux capacitor. End quote. DeLorean Motor Company has been plagued with bad business decisions for its entire tenure and passed through several hands in recent years, often with promises of returning with a new model that were never really followed through on. Even with images released, some people remain skeptical. Although fans have had fun photoshopping the sleek and updated DeLorean with all of the 80s mad scientist accoutrements it would need to be modded into Doc Brown's time machine. Link in the show notes to check that out. But that is it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.